Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hey, welcome to Playboys, and today we are doing some Oscar Wilde. I'm the Dean, joined by both PJ and Playboy Alex, back from the... Hello there! Hello there! We're doing the importance of being earnest! So this is a play that I've always seen in production at every high school. I don't know why, but I, I just always see it having been done or like university as well. It, right. It's kind of weird. So you've seen it just, performed? No. I All right. You're this always aware of it being performed. But you've I'm always aware. It. Well, I'd always gotten to the school right after they'd done it. <laughs> right. Oh, it's an amazing play. I, I loved it. I mean, what do you guys think? I think it's just, uh, well, it may be right. trivial. It's great. Just, I love with it. Spoilers. It, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's good. I, I, have issues, I have some issues with it here and there, but I do think like it's generally quite well done. It's very well I'm done. Very I'll surprised. say one thing, because PJ, you love Woodhouse. Uh, PG Woodhouse. Yes. This strikes me as Woodhouse done well. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's very Woodhouse, and I love that it doesn't... Um, because the last time I read it was 14 years ago, so I really forgot everything. And I was thinking, this is very Woodhousian, act one, uh, like especially um, in the middle. But then it didn't; it ended a bit unexpectedly, so it was still very mm-hmm. original. I'm surprised yeah. that you, you guys don't love it. This is this is an amazing play. We do love it, and especially and especially you, Dean. Like you, you know, I love it. Oh, it's yeah. very English. Dean very does posh. love it. I love Dean it. loves it. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I think overall it's pretty good. I think overall it's pretty good. I definitely would, if I were to watch it, I would be laughing the entire way through it, I think. Yeah. It's, now, it's there's just absurd moments throughout it here and there that's like, mm-hmm. really, all right, we're doing this. And then it ends sometime, somewhat like a Shakespearean play where it's just wrap it up in like two minutes and that's yeah. it. Where I, all yeah, right, yeah. fine. Bit, yeah. But uh, speaking of, like, you got Woodhouse, I was getting Comedy of Errors. Like yes, yeah, that's, yeah. Look, that's crazy. This is crazy. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking of Woodhouse and a comedy of errors the whole time I was reading yeah. it, and I and I did not know Woodhouse or comedy of errors before I read it like a long time ago. I really, Oscar Wilde was one of the first like big authors I really got into. I read like the entire works mm. one by one uh, of his plays, and I really loved that one. But his he's an amazing writer, and but totally. I can see the resemblance of both two characters. I had the same thoughts. If you just take out the silly bits where they, you know, they think that acronym in Woodhouse, where they think that acronyms substitute comedy, if you take that out, then you've got a good <laughs> Woodhouse uh, play here, you know? Ah, you know what I think about Woodhouse? Very fond of the chap. So let's talk but about anyway. who's in the play, shall we? We've got a Algernon Moncrief. Not, and we've no got... flowers for him. <laughs> We've got a Mr. John Worthing. 
Um, John, I guess going by Jack, which is the nickname for John. But um, also going by Ernest. But also going by Ernest. More on that <laughs> later. Um, the butler Merriman, not very important, but I do like the name. The manservant Lane. Also There's Lane's the manservant. There's the canon Chossable, who's some kind of reverend, um, doctor, doctor type. Reverend, yeah. Yes. Um, then we have Lady Bracknell, Algernon's aunt. Uh, we have Cecily, Cecily, Cecily Cardew. Cecily, I think. Why isn't it just Cecilia? Yeah. It's spelled with a Y. Cecily. That's really weird. Cecily Cardew and her governess, Miss Prism. And Gwendolyn. So they're... Airfax. And, yeah, just Cecily before... is um, basically like the daughter of Jack. How how do they put it again? She's his ward. Ward, thank you. So I would have thought Cecily, but anyway, but yeah, she's the uh, granddaughter of of the man who took care of John slash Jack. So John slash Jack uh, is an orphan, and we 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 he his parents abandoned him, and it starts off with him meeting him just being with Algernon and talking about Bunburying. Is that a good bun, uh, bun, starting bun point? Bunburying. 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 Is that a good starting point? Because that's a key word anyway. Yes. I, th- I overlooked it in the beginning. Almost no meaning. There you go. I overlooked it because I thought it was a nonsense word, but it turns out to be quite critical, actually. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, we want to explain what it means. Bunbury is basically this guy that Algernon would meet, although he's not actually meeting anyone. It's him just using it as an excuse to get away. Now, this Bunbury is supposedly sick and... Uh, he goes and takes care of him, but of course he doesn't exist. And yeah, yeah, but burying, I don't exactly know how it's used in some or the meaning behind it in some situations. I think it's just uh, like Algernon trying to be a little bit smart and funny. Uh, yeah, it's just his way of, of getting away and you know, he from, from the world and getting up to shenanigans, things that aren't necessarily becoming of a gentleman. And it's all you know, put it down to Bunbury. And, and Jack's doing the same thing with Ernest, right? He's doing things that he can then attribute to his brother Ernest instead of himself, yeah. and that's they're they're both doing the same thing actually. And, so Jack and yeah, goes and, by both Ernest and Jack on all of his business cards. He writes Ernest and tells people that his name's Ernest, but his actual name is Jack. He says that he has a brother named Ernest who doesn't actually exist, but he can always blame things on him and make yeah. these stories up. But um, it's convenient. A convenient, but I don't know how he ever uses that brother. He doesn't. That doesn't yeah, really we just assume that these have both been going on for a while, but we don't really see much detail of them being used in the play. I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Um, look, we open with funny scenes already, though. So Jack's hmm. going to see his friend Algernon, and they're friends, but they don't really like each other. Like they're not very affectionate. He's kind of like, "Why are you in my house? Go away! Get out of my house!" He's like, "I'm staying for tea." He's like, "Oh, for goodness' sake! I don't need to stay for tea." And his aunt's coming for tea, and um, Jack is really in love with um, Gwendolyn, who is the sister, niece, cousin, who is cousin, cousin of Al- of yeah, Algernon. And exactly. my favorite scene, yeah, in the very important, is they have <laughs> a lot. They have a lot of cucumber sandwiches, specially prepared for the aunt. And Jack's not allowed to eat them because they're just for the aunt. But Algernon is eating them all, and then he eats them all. And when the aunt arrives, like, I thought we had cucumber sandwiches. Like, uh, well, I don't know what's happening. And the, the butler the goes man, in on it. Yes. He's, he agrees, like, they didn't have any today. Like, <laughs> Yep. 
I thought the butler was very uh, Jeeves-esque. Like, yeah, yeah he, oh, he's so funny. Um, I love one of his quotes later on. So Algernon mm-hmm. says, I'll probably not be back till Monday. Um, mm-hmm. Then he says, I hope tomorrow will be a fine day, Lane. Lane says, it never is, sir. Algernon says, Lane, you're a perfect pessimist. <laughs> That's to give satisfaction. Yes. I, I just got <laughs> out of it. It's funny. There's also a nice bit where Algernon says to Lane near the beginning, like, they've, they've got a down that we drank, you know, eight bottles of wine at the last parties. <laughs> yes, eight bottles of wine were used. And he says, I don't know why the servants are always going and drinking eight bottles of champagne, you know, when obviously it was not the servants <laughs> who had drank like, the champagne. Then they say it's also... Well, because you're like, if you're married, then there never is any good wine because. <laughs> <laughs> and, and guys, let's talk about, hold on a second. I mean, this play was written in 18. 80... Go back to 1895, really when, when naturalism was big in Europe and it was all very serious. And Thomas Hardy was writing some really dark novels. Mm. And really Oscar Wilde for me is, uh, you know, he's famous as a dandy. He just talked, it's called the importance of being earnest, a trivial comedy for serious people. So it's really playing with this nonsense and farce of society. And the fact that both the countryman needs an alias to go to the city and the city man needs an alias to go to the countryside. It's just, mm. it's all about these, the absurdity of society, but always with playfulness. So I find Oscar Wilde did a great job in this play, particularly, to keep it light, almost even... I mean, it's almost like an art the way he kept that he kept it light, especially in this time period. And it is very light; like it's a very funny, right. very easy, very light read. Um, yeah. Marriage is a key theme in this, and that no one they they, yeah. they want to get married, but they also don't, you know, and they don't like this idea of marriage. They're saying single bachelors, and Algernon mentions that you know is marializing is marriage so demoralizing as that. And Lane says, "Well, I believe it's a very pleasant state, but I've had very little of experience of it, having only been man- been married once." And this is presumably something Algernon didn't know anything about. And he's just like, well, I'm not interested in your, in your life, Lane. It's like, he just told you to be married. He's just like, ah, I'm not interested in my servants' affairs. You know, I love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they'll talk about it in other ways. Uh, Jack really loves Gwendolyn and Gwendolyn loves Jack. He says, but he also says like, you don't think there's any chance of Gwendolyn becoming like her mother in about 150 years. Do you, Algie? <laughs> Algernon says all women become like their mothers. That's their tragedy. No man does. That's his. <laughs> and, then, and then he says, important. Then he says, do you always talk nonsense? And then he, yeah. he says, right? You you never talk anything in nonsense. Well, nobody ever does. You know, like it just mm. keeps repeating that it's all just nonsense. And Algernon also says nonsense. that you never deal with your own business. Jack says something on lines of like, you're always interested in other people's business. And he's like, well, no one would ever be interested in their own business. Like he's, he's not a work working man. He's just a, a frivolous kind of uh, bachelor, semi-aristocratic, almost. Just yeah, you know. we don't really know what any of them do. <laughs> Nothing. Like, as far as I we can know tell. Jack does investments. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it, it's this vague kind of like, um, yeah. I mean, Woodhouse would do the same thing again with Stevenson Wooster. I mean, Seinfeld made it big again in the nineties. This kind of like the bachelor lifestyle of what are they doing? Like this trivial, a show about nothing. Yeah, that's what Seinfeld said. But I mean, this is really a play about nothing. It's a play about trivial misunderstandings about names. That's all. And very important, we have to mention that. All right, that the name Ernest has to be kept. All right, so Cecily or Cecily thinks he's generally called Ernest, and mm. Jack says, "Well, would you still love me if if I'm called no, 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 Jack?" No, no, Gwendolyn. Says, Gwendolyn. 
Gwendolyn, sorry, excuse me, thank you. Yeah. And Gwendolyn says, no, not at all. Jack, John, such a common name. And I've been fantasizing about being with a man called Ernest. Yes, so, so this scene actually appears twice. So the same scene yeah. appears with both couples. So we're skipping ahead a little bit, but um, Algernon and Jack with their with their women, um, this, the same thing happens. So with Cecily and Algernon and with Jack and um, Gwendolyn, they both then present themselves as earnest and the women say, this is perfect. I've always dreamt of this. And then they both say, well, what, wouldn't you prefer a normal name like Algernon or Jack? And no, that's, that's horrible. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And And this is act two, right? Algernon goes, he finds out the address of, uh, of Jack. Jack didn't say it's him, but he finds out the address and Algernon goes to the country house of Jack and presents himself as earnest, the, yeah. the brother. Like, one detail we'll just pull back very slightly is because Algernon sorry, and um, goes there and, and falls in love with Cecily. But before that happens, Jack actually has already proposed to Gwendolyn and mm. been accepted. And the aunt has said no. For the most part. She likes everything else about him, except that they don't know his heritage. He yes. was born in a bag in a train station. So Which he, he freely no admits to her. Class. I was born in a bag in a train yeah. I was found in a bag in a train station. And he freely admits it. And he says, you like everything else about me? I'm being open and honest. And she says, look, I really recommend that before the season is over, you find yourself you find some relatives parent. and a lose <laughs> one parent. <you> know? <laughs> yep. Because, and I love the phrase she says, uh, you know, losing one parent, uh, that's tragic. Losing two is just careless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of this. It's full of humor, almost oh, every line. You know? There really uh, is. I love the back and forth with Algernon first meeting Cecily. Like, she, yeah. she's just... I feel like rude to him in a way at first, but it's also in a like witty way. She so um, Algernon says, "Oh, I'm not really wicked at all. Like you mustn't think I'm wicked." She says, "If you're not, then you certainly have been deceiving us all in a very inexcusable manner. I hope you've not been leading a double life, pretending to be wicked and being really good all the time. That would be hypocrisy." <laughs> it's it's <laughs> how dare you? You remember good? like it. And that's the the 1890s was a period leading to to like modernism and a sense of morality was really dying. Like God, you know, Nietzsche said uh, just a few years before the place produced God is dead, meaning more like the values are dead. So everyone's kind of like nothing's everything's meaningless, but the, all usually very dark. So Oscar Wilde is actually taking the play, playful part of it and making it cabaret-esque here. There's... Yeah. An interesting thing in my book as well, kind of leading into it. So they say that a big important part about this play, it's these, uh, it's about masking in a way. So they say that um, in this case, you're even some lies, small lies, they can be accepted as we'll see later in the play, just as um, it's really important for like, wild sexuality it could only be tolerated as long as it was kept discreetly off stage unacknowledged unspoken Mm. some things like that which i think is very interesting look and between the lines it's very sexual i find the play it's it's very sexual always Mm. like if you read between the lines for the time yeah like they're just uh spending time together already like yeah yeah i I mean mean, they're they're all one-on-one. Cecily sets up Miss Prism to go for a walk with with Chostable or whatever his name is, you know, and she says, like, I, f- I feel the headache 
Hey, you told me you had a headache coming on. You better go for a walk with the doctor there. And she's, I told you no such thing. But I think I think I will go for that walk. Yes. And, I mean, and that gives them yeah. a bit of private time, you know. <laughs> so they're they're all very horny. The, the three couples. Yeah. They're horny couples. <laughs> they, they kind I mean, of are. Yeah. <laughs> well, to kind of go into the next thing that my book says, perfect segue. Thank you. The truth is rarely pure and never simple. Yeah. So there modern life would be te- very tedious if it were either, and modern literature complete impossibility. Uh, I do like a few of the quips as well when uh, the aunt says things like, this is going to be later on, this should be a really short engagement because we definitely don't want you to find out (laughs) anything about each other before you get married. Like that that would never do. (laughs) And again, talking about sex, um, they mention um, history would be boring if it weren't full of affairs. She uses a different word. But she mentioned like, well, if history weren't full of Mm -hmm. like, you know, people having affairs or cheating their their husband or wife, it would be unreadable. Do we do we find Cecily to be a believable character? Because here's my impression I, of Cecily. If she were a real person, I would run as far as yeah. I could get away. So <laughs> she spends her days sitting in this garden with her governess, complaining that she doesn't want to read her German grammar or her geography book. And Already that seems to be a person Dean's interested in. Okay. Well, seems to be her entire life. But she's got this diary she writes her secrets in, but she doesn't do anything. She's got no secrets. Uh, she's very well, she nice to, to Miss Prism. She wants to get this published. Her her diary of memoirs that she just notes in every time someone says something to her. And she just felt very unrealistic. As soon as the, the first guy she sees, she basically falls in love with because she'd never well, seen any other guys before. And she wants a bad boy, you know? She's scary. Like, so she, in her, like, she had letters that she wrote herself as if they were from Jack's brother, Ernest, who doesn't exist. And said, like, yeah, you sent me these letters, and then I uh, canceled the engagement, and now we're actually engaged. And it's like, all right, you are scary stalker. Um, This is convenient for Ernest, though, because he can say, (laughs) well, we've been engaged already. Like, this has already been accepted, you know? But it's like, hold on. This is, you wrote the letters from me to yourself. Like, you've only met me today. This is crazy. You've already we've gone through a breakup you know, and got back together and everything. I didn't mind that. I, I thought they were all like, well, I'd like to have tea with them and some uh, vegan cake. You know, I wouldn't mind all that. But I mean, uh, it's all in that universe, of course. They're all just mad in the universe. Yeah, you would and have... hold on. Did anyone did anyone notice why all the mention of German? And he guesses she's she's studying German. She's not really studying German. There's love a mention of the German, just like studying German. I never thought to guess? be honest. Well, what about Ernest? You know, Ernst. His name comes from Sirius in um, in German. So the fact that's just a, that it is a mention. I, mean, I think Oscar Wilde spoke German as well. It is uh, always uh, it's mentioning back to the title, the importance of being Ernest, a trivial comedy for serious people. Mm. And they're always mentioning uh... about kind of like they always like the women seem very attracted about men who are very serious, but who are very aloof as well. Right, so they have to be serious I mean... about something, you know. I get the that the of being serious. The women are definitely not supposed to be taken seriously. Yeah. In this. Yeah. I get that. It just ruins the illusion for me at times when you yeah. have her being very creepy in any other realistic situation. Mm. And then you can tell I, it's weird to say this about Oscar Wilde, but if it were written by anyone else, I'd say you can tell this was written by a man. Like Gwendolyn mm. saying, How absurd to talk of the equality of the sexes. Where questions of self-sacrifice are concerned, men are infinitely beyond us. Well, the reason they say that is because immediately preceding that, the men 
one of the guys does make a sacrifice, doesn't he? Like he he basically says that he'll do whatever she wants. He uses the lapdog thing where he'll just give up everything and do whatever she wants, and that's the reason that she then says that. Um, and I think the men do give up yeah. more than the women in this. They're more infatuated, and the women pretend we- to not care, and they say, you know, go over there, and we don't want you in here. And then they say, any real men would have followed us in, and then they do follow the men. They say, oh, the impertinence, they followed us in. It's like, okay, come on, stop it with the sexist hijinks, you know. I well, mean, self sacrifice. I can't say, yeah. I, hmm, that's definitely not. But is it not? Is it not also possibly kind of saying the opposite? I mean, it's very paradoxical the play. So first of all, they said like you know big sacrifice, but it's not a big sacrifice to just give up your name and and like get a few drops of of water on your head. I mean, it's obviously just the whole time. It's kind of like a mm. paradox the whole time. Well, they're willing. Like, to, they're the men so are willing to change it, their I names. Guess. You know, the men are willing to change yeah. their names. Just these women love them, except for this weird whim and caprice that they don't like their, their first name. Which so the men are willing another to red be... flag. Yeah. Do not change yourself for the women. Well, that's that the point. With. So the fact that the men Never are willing to do that. That's the point. Yeah, that, that the men are willing to do yeah. that, and the women are just issuing demands and not giving anything back. That's why he says it's the sacrifice, and she then accepts that, like men are willing to give up more than we are, because we are actually not giving up anything. We're just demanding that you change your name. Well, the yeah. point was Oscar... If there remember, a compromise, the point of... I get it. The point of Oscar Wilde, even though it's very light and trivial, he's still kind of criticizing decadency. You know, he's still kind of saying that there are there are there are no morals in the picture of Dorian Gray. It's just that's the whole point. He doesn't have any morality, no codes, no moral coding, no values. And it's the same here. They have no values at all. No one has no. any values at all. Oh, they just go around no doing whatever does. they want. <laughs> and I yeah, see that exactly. the comedy does come from that. Like, oh, these values yeah. just went away so quickly. Even, and it's the right. end of the. It's almost the end of the Victorian period. I mean, they're kind of fed up of that. Uh, yeah. of, of that really conservative. They're getting. They're getting out yeah. to flourish. But let's say where the story goes to. So we end up with two people exactly. both pretending to be called Ernest to the two girls. Everyone wants to marry each other, but everyone is opposing everyone else's marriage. And, <laughs> and for it to be friends. And for a time, it, it is very Shakespearean, and Shakespearean, as you said, Alex. Yeah. It is very a comedy of errors esque. And I thought it might go on, but it didn't. Like that it was just for Act Two that there was some confusion: who's Ernest, who's Ernest. But that they do realize then who is Ernest, mm-hmm. and then it crashes down. They realize that there no one is names. Right? <laughs> then you get the liar exactly. reveal no trope, which I I can't really stand the liar reveal trope. I'm very glad that in this play that it is short. Mm-hmm. So that is fair. I will. They give forgot that a point. to do the Shakespeare, um, you know, three acts of transvestitism or whatever in order to get to the reveal at the end of it, right? <laughs> well, they, yeah, the classical. All that. Yeah, no, well, stop so, it. Shakespeare always does Act Four, where it just goes away from the story, and then and then it's resolved Act Five. There's nothing of that, sadly. Yeah, it's very uh, put down. <laughs> so the, anyway, but then, but I was, I thought it was good because I was unexpected. I thought it was going just a comedy of errors, and but then it's something else. So the next part is, well, they are opposing each other's marriages. The aunt is opposing everything. Um, exactly. So this is Act Three now, yeah. And it it all just kind of works out she, because they the realize aunt that very quickly accepts Cecily though. She's like, oh, she has a lot of money. Okay. Um. Yeah, you have a nice profile. I like the way you look. We could do something about your <laughs> yeah. hair. He didn't like her at all until she heard she had a lot of money, and immediately that was. Fine. I can, I can just imagine <laughs> yeah. a, a modern interpretation. She says you have a very nice Tinder profile, and I like that about <laughs> you. 
You know, the biggest problem was to good heavens, Gwendolyn. I, I mean, Gwendolyn. Sorry, that's one of my favorite lines from the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what uh, we need to deal with is the origins it, of, um, well, not Ernest, Jack of Jack, right? Jack John, we yeah. find out very conveniently that it was actually the aunt's um, nanny or whatever, I guess, who'd left off the, um, the bag. Oh, Miss Prism. Miss Prism is the Ms. one Prism. who left the bag, yeah. Before the she was governess. When she was, yeah, she was the governess. Um, well, hold on a second. Very importantly, this is only discovered as Augusta happens to be there. This is the first time she's in that house and meets mm-hmm. Jack John. And the thing is, Jack John was lost. He was a lost boy, Miss Prism, who is a novelist as well. Was also novel. lost, right? Yeah, she was also lost. She put the novel in the baby's, um, um, excuse my vocab, um, where do you put babies? The Don't put them in bags. Or... In the yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the bag. The baby was put in a bag and the book was put in a pram and then she lost both. But then she yeah. disappeared and went off to this other house. And, in, you know, in these like small English towns, I guess no one speaks to anyone else. And they just didn't realize that like she's been the governess for the relatives of the road for the last 10 years or whatever. You know? <laughs> so a bit of uh, it was a bit of a deus ex machina at the end, wasn't mm. it? Just kind of let's it resolve. Was. And yeah. I don't. That's how farce works, though. And it just so happens yeah. they find out the name that his father had that was also given to him, <laughs> which happened to be Ernest. And Jack. His first two names were Ernest, Ernest and Jack. Jack. Even though they didn't know either of those. They find it in the army lists because they're like, how would we find out his name in the army lists? Would it be around the 40s? Yes, we well, have that one right here. Like, and this is where I think, I'm- like, I feel like Oscar Wilde just said, I don't know how to end this. All right, we're going to do the Shakespearean way and just have it be random. I, I'm getting like Winter's Tale type ending. Mm. Let's wrap it up immediately and we're done. Now, well, I get, I've, yeah. I had I a really two fun things. time all throughout it. It's just the ending that's like, really? We're doing this? It's it's too sweet. Mm. I like the ending, PJ? but I have, yeah. no, I, I like the ending, but I don't like that he had to add Ernest and Jack that's pushing it. You know what I mean? Like just Ernest. Just, just Ernest, but not yeah. Ernest and Jack. And then it's like this. I didn't mind that. And I, I also see, have a yeah. problem. But I have a problem, though. My problem is actually more what, what about there's supposed to be two Ernests? Or am I getting something wrong here? I thought Algernon had to be Ernest as well. He had to be Christian no. Ernest. Um, no, he the, just lied to the girl, but I think it's all fine. I think they, she got over They that agreed, somehow. like, okay, we'll forgive you for this lie. Ah, but I still got an impression that so he really wanted Ernest too. That for me you, is you raise is a not, good point. Both good both girls did want ending. Ernest, and only one got that actually. Yeah, that's why that that irritated me the most. And it's kind of unclear kind of like, at the end, whatever. but it's just like, and then they were all happy, I guess. Like the two couples, and also Miss Prism with the Doctor. We just assume like everyone's together. It's not really explicitly stated. We know the importance of being Ernest and seen. You know, it, hold it on is, a second. Like, what? But I have one positive thing to say about the ending. If it is a trivial comedy for serious people, and Oscar Wilde is actually saying serious people don't know anything because during the whole play, it's like they just talk nonsense. Does it not make sense that the ending makes no sense? I don't think it makes Oscar no Wilde's sense. Intention. It makes no sense. No, come on. It's, it's just, it's the ending it's just is... far-fetched. Yes, but that's the point, isn't it? That it's just like... Yeah, I mean, like, just like the whole play made no sense. It's it's borderline absurdist. It's oh, yeah. yeah. I can agree with the absurdism throughout. Yeah. 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 
But I, I like it. Yeah. I like the whole thing. I just thought the ending was a bit... Well, everything's yeah, very convenient, maybe. which is fine. But then why does only one of them get earnest, as you say? And then they I don't really explain. And I, you know, the aunt then doesn't take away her protests about the marriages. She doesn't say, okay, and, it, and, and lay it out. Now you can marry him and now you can marry her because it, it just kind of ends. You just have to assume that it was all fine, you know? <laughs> mm. But, uh, yeah, but that, that was more my, my beef was to play. But I, I thought it was great. It's such a fun play and oh yeah it's amazing i mean i i think watching this i would have a fantastic time laughing throughout the entire thing it would definitely be a play i want to watch i think i would like to see it as well yeah for me i guess again nitpicks so yeah Yeah. totally and again it's all about for me it's always it is though there's a very dark side to it i always find dark sides to to these things that and it depresses you guys but I, I think the dark side is it really is really, really cynical. It's very lighthearted, but extremely cynical. And Oscar Wilde is very cynical in his plays. Not in his short stories for children. It's very different there, but I find. But this is like very kind of like, there. you know, he says it, it is a terrible thing for a man to find out. Jack says near the end, it is a terrible thing for a man to find out suddenly that all his life he has been speaking nothing but the truth. Yes. <laughs> Can you forgive me? Can you forgive me? I can, for I feel that you're sure to sure to change. Says <laughs> <laughs> mm. Because they don't want so to speak like, the truth. They're just these two guys that go around with fake names getting into hijinks. We never really find out how bad their hijinks are, but they get into scripts, as they yeah. call it, and just, you know, but, go bumbering around. But these, but these, the young, well, everyone really in the whole play is like, it's a good thing to be a bad person. Uh, that's what. Or it's yeah. a good thing to have no morals. That's what. But the, but the worst thing about. we see anyone really do is eat the cucumber sandwiches and lie about it. Like no one really does anything <laughs> bad. They just yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's they, point. they lie about names, having brothers, people who don't exist, and then. I, I suppose mean, losing really a baby no and then stakes. disappearing is not great. <laughs> there's really no stakes in this, <laughs> which is fair. Yeah, yeah, it's a totally no stakes situation here. They end up getting married, presumably, and that's it. There's no real. Yeah. There's nothing to be lost. You know. Yeah. Uh, and you know it is very farcical in in the sense of that I would have thought that it might have taken that it, it would have taken for the man more convincing because there's not much convincing neither at the beginning because they're lying the end, like, the they say that like, marriage is this terrible thing we don't want and then they're both already in love with the girl the first time they see them <laughs> you know they're lying but this is what you loved it right you, you I love, love it, this yeah. kind of love story I have of. one concern though because they mentioned that the ward is barely eighteen and these are like men that we assume they're yeah. like thirty. And he's like, yeah, well, would you, they think at first that maybe Jack's in love with his own ward. And he's like, well, why would I be in love with my 18-year-old ward? That's inappropriate. And then his friend comes over and is like, oh, yeah, I'm in love with her. And he's like, oh, okay, that's. I think it's only inappropriate because it's his ward rather than her being 18. He also knew her as a baby. No, no, but I think Dean has a a good point. And that's why I mentioned, I think the play, if you write down all the contradictions that are in the play, that because. Like it's like I say, well, my girlfriend, you know, your girlfriend's eighteen. Like I, you know, I can't be with an eighteen-year-old, and then the next day you get an eighteen-year-old girlfriend. I mean, mm. it, they're always contradicting each other, and it's always like this society, this mm. late Victorian society, is pointing the finger at someone 
but actually you're doing the same thing. That's very you're true. eating all the cucumber salads. You're taking the girl that's that's on, that's really underage. You're Stop doing this. You're doing that. You're lying about the names. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then eat some muffins. You know. But they find out she's not going to be of age till she's thirty-five, according to the will. But they just say, "Are they?" I'm pretty sure that's made up. Would like, you not be prepared to wait seventeen years? You've only just met her today and fallen in love, and she's eighteen. But would you not be prepared to wait until she doubles her age? You know. <laughs> we've covered it all really yeah well, I, I just one thing mention... I, one thing yeah. i just want to point out just from uh the textbook i'm using to read this this is a bit of an absurd play we can kind of agree the next play in my book is dadaist which is just going even more insane alfred jerry's Ubuvois, if you're very interested but um yeah i don't know uh, what i mean yeah, that it's, is Im- it's insane. Uh... Well, you know, just to mention that a bit, Dadaism came 20 years later during the First World War. And the point of Dadaism is they got like a, a toilet and just turned around and called it a fountain. So it's really just turning it, you know, imagine... First World War. It's like everything's absurd. Nothing makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So imagine doing LSD and watching random crap happen in like old silent movies. Except they started that, mm. so that's what makes them revolutionary. They mm. started that, to be fair, in the oh. First World War. To, anyway, for, I, thought it was I guess we can conclude out. by saying that uh, you had a couple of nitpicks at the ending, Alex, but overall we all enjoyed the play, so that's good. Yeah, it was a great play. And we'd recommend yeah, it. Play. No debate. And I highly, and I highly recommend his other plays. And he's got some. He's got Sal- uh, Salome as well. If you want to just read a pure tragedy of his, I mean, so he's got some interesting stuff. Oscar Wilde's though is best at his children's short stories that's why i say read those so it's a small recommendation for you guys okay and dorian gray as uh dean would recommend dorian gray which is of course fantastic and i I aspire to be dorian gray um, well, I hope not. But, well, look, I, I kind of do. So <laughs> where is that painting? <laughs> Show it. <laughs> so the next, I think next time we're going to try an inspector calls. Maybe I've been I've been pitching that one for a while, so. I think we can try that Spend one next goals, time. Well, you've been, you've been, you've been going on about it for a while, so let's go. I think you both like it. Yeah, maybe do it late October. Okay, guys, this has been Playboys. I, I normally have a Shakespearean day, but it's not Shakespeare. So have a weird day. Have a, mix up your identity and pretend to be earnest. Well, have a have a wild have an earnest day. day. Oh, there you go. Oh, they both work. <laughs> have a wild yet earnest work. day. <laughs> have an important day. No. <laughs> Have an important, wild, yet earnest play. Make no. it trivial. No. no <laughs> Eat cucumber sandwiches or, and, and, and don't tell your aunt about it. Do that. It's the real moral of the play, to be fair. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.